0: Thanks for downloading our podcast. You can check out more of our episodes at facebook.com/slash house of cards podcast or on iTunes.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this house of cards podcast, an unofficial podcast on the Netflix hit show House of Cards. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with. Chris Houston, I am the co-host. What's up, everyone? What up, Tyler? Um, nothing too interesting. What are you uh, drinking this evening?
0: I have uh, some wine, some Missouri wine. It's not that great. Uh, it's Missouri, lovely. Bad.
1: Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, Missouri vintage, excellent. <laughs> what are you drinking? I am drinking water because I was drinking earlier this evening at a public house, and I need to chill out if I'm going to be coherent for this podcast. So, whoa, I, you, you seem like you're fine, but I carry myself. I, out. I, I carry myself well, but I do have a lot to say about what were this you,
0: episode. What were you drinking earlier?
1: Oh, I I apologize for my dog howling. Hold on one second. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you doing?
0: What's there? Tyler has just walked out of his room, and he is putting his dog somewhere. His dog, I believe, his dog's oh, name is Tyler. Barley, which is a sign that Tyler likes beer. Oh, he's coming back, but his headphones aren't in, so he doesn't know I'm saying anything. Sorry about that. I think she saw a deer. <laughs> oh, that's cute.
1: Come here, stupid. Come here. Come here. Okay. Come
0: on. He's not talking to me.
1: There we go. Okay. Um, <clears throat> anyway, continuing with what I was going to say. Earlier, I was drinking um, some local Cincinnati beer. It was pretty... Pretty good, and I ended the night with a Bells Oberon, which is a good summer choice I'm inviting in the summer season. But, nice. Um, as always, before we get going, we want to encourage everybody to go on iTunes and rate us and give us comments and questions and critiques. We always appreciate that. That is, of course, This House of Cards podcast. We want you to like us on Facebook at This House of Cards podcast, and we would love it if you would email us your questions and comments at this House of Cards podcast at gmail. Dot com. Now, I'm going to um, go ahead and ask you right off the beginning. What did you think about how this episode was focused? I mean, we didn't see Zoe much this episode. It was very much... It was very... Uh, it was the first episode that was not DC-centric. Um, I guess we kind of had that a little bit in the other episode where Frank goes to South Carolina, but even more so because we didn't really see DC at all. I mean, it was all Pennsylvania and... um. I'm assuming somewhere South in South Carolina where, you know, Frank went to school. Yep. Yeah. I
0: mean, it It was, there were two characters, main characters in this episode. It was Frank and it was Peter. And the whole theme of this episode or this chapter was returning home and, and you know, kind of figuring out how, or for me at least, I thought it was them coming to
1: terms with how, why they are the way they are. And obviously parallel stories, but at the same time, very different backgrounds. Um, I mean, what did you draw from kind of seeing Rousseau's background as like, the, you know, right. Blue-collar? We kind of knew a little bit
0: about Rousseau's background just from what had been hinted, uh, in his previous interaction with this Paul character that came to totally berate, um, Peter after, uh, he got lost all those shipyard jobs. Um, So we we knew that he was a boy, you know, a a boy from, I don't really want to say like the streets, but he's a blue-collar guy.
1: He's a blue-collar guy, yeah. Yeah.
0: So um, we we know what his background was like, but we hadn't seen him really there with his people. Um, So that was, I mean, we we had a hint. And then with Frank, we didn't really know. I mean, his background has been somewhat of a mystery. Besides a few things here and there, like his dad was not close to him. Or he wasn't close to his dad, and uh, his I don't know when he went home to deal with that one st- uh, state senator or whatever he was.
1: This episode regarding Frank, I thought was bizarre. Uh, I think we saw Frank more raw, certainly, than we've seen him, and more genuine than we've seen him throughout any of this season so far. And I know we'll talk about that as we go through a little bit, but um, I guess let's dive right into it because I'm excited to get to get to it. Um, so we start the evening with. We fi- figure out right from the beginning that Frank and Claire are at this event, which is the night before um, the library dedication. Frank's former alma mater is going to name a library after him um, because of some donations that he kind of helped secure through some contacts of his, which we later find out is uh, Remy's Sandcorp. Um, but he kind of talks about how college was pretty, you know. It was kind of a shitty experience, and they weren't very nice to him after he left until, you know, they get money, which is just kind of how universities go, I feel like, most of the time. is until you start paying back, they don't think much right. of it. Right. He
0: said he, like, didn't get good grades. He almost got, like, kicked out his senior year. Yeah, he was not a model student by any means. Right,
1: but, I mean, he's he's back, and he's trying to – this episode is about him trying to decipher what his time and his transformative years in college were about. Um, very much so, but in the meantime, he also runs into, like I said, Remy, who happens to be there representing SandCorp. SandCorp f- flew him there, um, because and they that are, was
0: because SandCorp funded a lo- this building. Is that right?
1: That's what I understood. That SandCorp is funding the library that is going to be right. named after Frank. Um, but they also wanted him to talk to Frank about Russo because they're concerned about Russo because that clean water bill that's going through it puts a lot of restrictions on the drilling that SandCorp is involved with. Right, and so nah,
0: we know we're going to hear a lot more of that down the road.
1: Oh yeah, that's definitely going to be coming because this bill is going to be a big deal. Obviously, this is a huge part, as we saw for Rousseau, because this is what's going to get him the blue collar workers back on his side. Um, but we see kind of Frank go up, and he, you know, he's introduced by the dean of the school, and he goes up to give a speech, but then he's kind of interrupted by his three buddies, who are he's part. Of, Frank was part of a barbershop quartet. He, what a square! Yeah, <laughs> he was a, he was a dork. I mean. What did he but he was he seemed so genuinely excited when they start they go he goes out in the middle of the floor and the four of those guys start singing together I think as soon as those guys showed up that's when the
0: the switch really flipped to what what you alluded to earlier, which was we actually see Frank in a genuine sincere uh emotion for the rest of this episode I, I until like the very very end but like this is Frank at his almost at his purest
1: as soon as that started it was like. Frank – because Frank has been very aware of us as an audience almost with his asides and his kind of narration to us. But it was like as soon as that – he got into that genuine mode, it was like we weren't there anymore. Like he phased it, you know.
0: There was like a a little hint of it in the beginning when he was talking to the dean or the president. I forget what he was, but – and
1: he said, hey, did you get my email? And he's like, he, "Oh no, what email? I didn't get it." Those Sorry, guys couldn't. Off. Yeah, no, they, they couldn't make it. it or, yeah, because he was like trying to see if those guys could make it, and then they like yeah. pretended. But they you could tell it was a little. Like, there's a little hint of. Oh, a, he was like, he felt he was a little bummed out. Oh yeah, he was disappointed by it, and so he was thrilled when they showed up. And I think something about And he's these, like,
0: "I got your email."
1: The, Come or, on, man! Yeah, yeah, of course I got your email. Something about this environment <laughs> combined with with those three guys like unlocked his youth or something like that, or you know trying he's he's at home with these friends and i don't know he 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 definitely we learn a lot about him through this episode in the meantime of course rousseau is in uh pennsylvania pennsylvania in philadelphia i think in particular um preparing to have a town hall meeting to try to win these blue collar guys back with this clean water bill that Claire's helped him revise um, but first he's with he's in the hospital with his mother and she's—we yeah, see that is she's a strained relationship. She's very difficult, very unresponsive. Doesn't really want to hear about his life or anything that's going on with him. Doesn't care about him running for governor. Gets irritated when he even like tries to change the channel or fix the lights or anything. Um, I assume she—it seems like she must have some mental problems. I guess. I mean, she's—I don't know if it's just Alzheimer's. She or does dementia.
0: Yeah, at that point I didn't really know. It to me it just seemed like it was a strange relationship and she wasn't really proud of him or or you know even understood what he did and just kind of maybe felt abandoned so abandoned him. I I don't know. There there was something in either in the past or since he went to Washington that she's just not at a doesn't have that personal connection to her, her son at at this point.
1: Right, and we kind of see that like Philadelphia does not have a whole lot left for Russo at this point. I mean, he has this crummy relationship with his mother. He goes from there to... He goes to Paul's house to try to talk to Paul, which is, like you said, the guy that he uh, came to his office and was pleading with him after this whole ship... And said, WTF,
0: man. You just backed off on the one platform you that we voted you in for. You screwed
1: us all over. Yeah, exactly. So he's trying to go back and... These guys were childhood friends, and he's trying to go back to win him back, basically. And Paul agrees to go to get a drink with him, but says that, you know we're not friends anymore. You just want to use me, you you politicians. And so and I, I want
0: to ask you about this. I mean, that seems like a legitimate response. All these people like you you get your buddy up there to do something about you and your community and he totally bails. I mean, remember Rousseau didn't like like go down uh fighting uh, and, and lose this battle to keep the shipyard. He sat there silent because of what Frank held, held over his head, sure, to save his own ass. But He sat there, and that looks horrible to uh, his constituents.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It looks like he didn't fight at all for them or their rights or whatever. But at the same time you feel for Russo, because obviously he was pretty much being blackmailed by Frank not to say anything – um, and so you know that these guys, obviously, they're not going to understand these heavy-handed politics of Washington and these you know, backroom deals that keep people like Rousseau down in situations like this. And so you feel for them a little bit. But at the same time, you do obviously sympathize. I mean, would they say 12,000 people lost their jobs? How many people were at the Air Force Base? I think it, I don't think it was 12. I think it was smaller
0: than that. I oh, wrong. Okay. I
1: it was small. Okay. Well, a lot regardless. Like it Maybe was, enough it was that 12. It, Damn it. I should it, know this. It was a substantial number for sure. Right. Um and so I mean obviously they're going to be upset about that because that's they had elected him to fight for him and he did I mean and what you can ultimately like boil it up to is Rousseau should not have been put in a position to begin with where he could be you know where he couldn't stand up for his people because that's what he was elected into office for and so yeah it does go back to his indiscretions as far as you know drugs and prostitutes and all this stuff that they have on him um uh, but it just re- makes
0: me really think I I wish Frank had figured out that he wanted to run Rousseau as governor of Pennsylvania way before he pulled those shipyard jobs. It would have been a lot
1: easier. Yeah, but he kind of needed to do that anyway to get, you know, to oust the... To get the Black Caucus. Exactly, and and oust the, what would they call it, the majority leader or whatever. Um, but at the same time, you know, yeah, I understand Paul's point here, but Russo, I think, is being genuine. He really is excited about this plan. He really does want to get those jobs back. He just knows that it's going to be one piece at a time, and he he's very, I mean he's realistic about this. He doesn't think he's going to come in and give some miracle plan, but he wants these people to believe that he can build it into something. Cause I think he genuinely believes that when he's governor, he can do good. Right. And his, his pitch to
0: uh Paul here to try to get him on his side. Paul was not having it once it really came out his true motivations, which was he's running for governor and he needs this support.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, He's Like what do you want a lap dog? no way he, he he approached it the wrong way he totally didn't he realizes that later, but he approached it from the poly instead of like you know being Rousseau the guy who they grew up with he was being Rousseau the politician, and that was the wrong way to approach it spot on exactly um but let's go back to South Carolina where Frank is with his friends, and you know they're telling him what a score Claire is and he says Claire, he says Claire, he says you know Claire's the only person that calls me Francis anymore um do you think, was there significance to that, to her, you know, that she's the only one that calls him Francis? Is that, like, in a way, her pet name form, kind of, or a level of intimacy I, they have? Yeah,
0: I, truthfully, I don't really, I haven't really thought too much on it. I thought it was just a thing that she did where everyone's more has that more familiar relationship with him or wants to have that familiar relationship with him and
1: casual, calm Frank. I don't know. If, what did in, you think? In some ways, it seems almost motherly, you know? Like, your mother will tell you your full name. Like, she's the only person... In his life, who takes care of him or um, is on his level to the point where he doesn't like dominate them. You know what that I mean.
0: That is a great um, analysis, actually. Just because something later on down the road in my notes that happens with Claire makes me think she's more of a maternal figure to him. But anyway. <laughs>
1: Well, I think she likes that dynamic, too, because like we know before, she doesn't want to be on a pedestal. She doesn't want to be dominated. So I think that it's a way of her – it might be a tool of hers to kind of maintain like a I am your equal kind of thing to make him feel not superior to her by calling him Francis instead of Frank. You know what I mean? By calling him his given name. Um, But in the meantime, so Frank's off gallivanting with these guys, and they're getting real trashed, real trashed. They're sneaking into this old library, which I thought was kind of cheesy, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was very like college
0: boys returning for like old frat buddies returning to their alma mater for you know the the fiftieth anniversary of their fraternity or something. You know, this it feels like almost like a movie. Like, oh yeah, Grown-ups oh, yeah. or something.
1: Absolutely, and you know they're waltzing down memory lane here. They're they find their car- their names carved into the wall from when they were kids or you know college kids, and they start singing again, which I think is so funny because I would have never pegged Frank to be. In a a barbershop quartet like that (laughs) No way, and that's what was really interesting That's, I think, because he totally loses
0: his his guard He drops his guard, basically And is a lot more vulnerable as he's getting drunk with these guys And he's singing around with them Which, I mean, for a lot of masculine alpha males That's kind of embarrassing, maybe Or that's a little awkward And part that maybe you don't want to bring up so So often, um, because it's open for ridicule. But, man, he just loves it. And that's great. I mean, this is why we see him be genuine, I think.
1: I was going to say, you make an excellent point. This makes him, I think it makes him incredibly vulnerable. More vulnerable than we've seen him ever. I mean, ever, really. Ever. (laughs) So. Really, yeah. um, It brings out a whole other side of him. In the meantime, of course, Claire has this really weird interaction with Remy, where she's in the bar drinking, and Remy invites her up to the bridal suite, basically, like... To And she's like, you would never have done this when you were uh, his press secretary. Right. So, I mean, that was quite a upfront move by Remy. To, he's I know. Like, what would oh, no, was... that... you think about it? Well, I think that that was Remy sensing that there's some sort of distance right now between Claire and Frank, which I think we've kind of been... Re... Obviously, there is, because we end up learning that Claire, instead of going to Remy's room, goes back to her own room and calls... Adam from the bathtub, and they talked for two hours. right. I think Remy also... We
0: we have talked about this. Because Remy worked for Frank before he got his job at Samcorp, he probably knows the relationship between them or the arrangement that Frank and Claire have. So maybe he's like... Because she's like, you would never say this. So maybe he's probably got the balls to do it now that he doesn't work for Frank.
1: Oh, yeah. And I mean, he's clearly... he's. It sounds like he's more aggressive toward frank than he ever was obviously when he worked for frank i mean he's kind of an adversary he's got the money to the oh yeah and they, these guys you know frank jokes to him, "Is Sandcorp the only client you have and he said well they're the only client that's going to fly me out there on the like out here on their own dime to be here tonight. and put him in the bridal suite <laughs> yeah exactly so the, i mean these people are paying him big money he's got he's got quite an ego about him and he, you're right he's aware of this uh, arrangement so claire does call adam and she calls him on the phone in bath, in the bathtub, which obviously very... I thought we were going to go somewhere with that, but... Intimate moment. I mean, I feel like she's... I feel a little bit bad for him, because I feel like she's dragging him on, like, teasing him a little bit, you know? Calling him and then hanging up and saying, I shouldn't be, you know...
0: Yeah, she is... That's kind of a tease, yeah. But, I mean,
1: Adam's a grown-ass man, too. He should... You know, he knows her deal. And he still picks up the phone and talks to her for two hours, and, you know... They have this conversation where a big question comes up. He asks why her and Frank never had kids, and she says they never wanted to. But he thinks she's lying. What do you believe? I was going to ask to you
0: to. that. I don't. I. What do you think? I. I feel
1: like I've answered enough. Your, your turn to answer. What do you think? I think. I agree with Adam. I think that she seemed weird about it, and I think maybe she wanted kids, and he did not. Maybe this is just a theory, but maybe that's why menopause is also such a much bigger deal for her because she knows that oh. it's. That's I like, like that. the end of her her opportunity, right? That's a good point. Um,
0: yeah, I, I had just like a little flash of a of a sense of regret of not having children, but also the businesswoman side of her kind of comes through and's like, well, that wasn't our arrangement,
1: right? Exactly. So, there is she's Frank's logical and practical, and so am I, and that's not that didn't fit into our plans. So I mm-hmm. c- kind of a conflicted, a little bit of, of a conflicted flair, clear there, I would say,
0: right. Um, but this is kind of where the part after this phone call ends, uh, David hangs up and then it cuts right to Frank running around or pushing, or I forget if he's being pushed, carts or book carts or whatever in the old library.
1: I was like, there's your, there's your child. There's your kid right there. It's Frank. Yeah, exactly. acting like a kid. Trashed on Maker's Mark. Him and the guys are acting yep. like breaking shit and throwing things around the library and um, okay, so this is the scene I really wanted to talk to you about. The Two of the friends are off doing something else, and it's Frank and the bearded guy. And they're talking about how much fun they had and what college meant to them. And, um, the, the friend, okay, first of all, it starts when the friend places Frank's hand on his heart. Right, Which, that was when I was like, oh, this is getting a little homoerotic here, huh? Yeah, I was I was going to say, something, something's going on here. This, this relationship might be a little bit deeper than just old friends. Um, then, you know, they had this big conversation about whether did the college make them or did it, was it just like an, a, a blip in, in their existence? And Frank seems pretty concerned about this. This is my question for you is like, why was this such a big question for Frank, whether or not the college influenced what happened to it, like where, where he went in life? Right. Yeah. He, he was really trying to figure out what did it mean to
0: them as, as people? Like, did it, cause when, and, and then they, I mean, I, I think, I know, I, Hmm. I liked him trying to answer this question for me just so I know what choices he made back then that helped define who he is now. So, I was looking for answers in his in his answer to what this college meant to him. Uh so it could
1: help me figure right. out his background. Right. Um well, and like I you know what I thought was interesting about this is it's like so he seemed to want to believe that the school had no influence on him. And so it's like he he seems very conflicted himself about his experience cuz obviously we see him be more genuine and more himself at college with these in these memories than we've ever seen him before. But at the same time there's some part of him that's like shunning these memories and not wanting that to have been instrumental in his development. So he has like this um paradoxical relationship with it kind of. That that totally makes sense, yeah.
0: And I think that's why eventually the when they figure out their answer they have to define what this place meant to them in two instances what it meant to them then and what it means to them now and how do you think that changed well I think then I actually forget was it then when they're then it meant like kind of a lot to them because it was their life was that Mm -hmm. what it was and then now it was kind of like a flash in the pan in their
1: life and that's why he goes into that speech about things that like being so what meant to him how much that guy meant to him back then Oh, right. Um, and so they talk about, you know, Frank has this very candid conversation about, you know, the library is not really that big a deal. I just did a couple favors for people. Um, and he says something about how he wants to think of of the college as, as dead. You know, it just goes to show how, for some reason, he wants to push those memories away. But they still allude to some sort of relationship between the bearded guy and Frank in... Um, the guy has been like talking about wanting to take raft, wanting to take Frank rafting, basically. And the beauty of, of he he gives a speech about how the beauty of rafting is all you think of in the moment is like wanting to stand your raft and going down the river, and like you don't think past the consequences. You don't or think anything. of
0: the past; you think of right now what's happening, and you're in the moment. Right? And I,
1: I, I don't know. If, I want to see if you got the same impression here. I assume that this was he was talking about this college experience, like yeah. College I, experience, well, I
0: think he was also trying to justify. Well, maybe not justify, but rationalize the most likely sexual relationship that the two of them had.
1: Yeah, and well, and let's just go ahead and say, like be. Oh, sorry, I, 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 I Let's just go ahead and be open about this. I, I obviously, clearly, they're insinuating some sort of sexual relationship. Right. Um, and
0: I, I took most of their. I mean, yeah, they were talking about the college, but I took a lot of the, that conversation as them specifically talking about their relationship.
1: Right, and so he's talking about it as you know. We enjoy It was about enjoying it in the moment It's not about how that affected us We are in the moment But Frank
0: Pushes a little further He says You know Listen You actually meant a lot to me And And I was like Whoa
1: And then he kind of gets sick And the guy And I I don't remember I don't know if we ever caught the bearded guy's name But he kind of gets sick And the bearded guy kind of takes care of him For the rest of the night and so, like, uh, uh, what are we supposed to draw from this? It's like, I mean, we've seen Frank be with women. We've seen him be with Zoe multiple times. But thats is that just a power thing? I mean, I, that could be because, like, sex to Frank is not
0: this intimate thing as, as far as we've seen. You know, we've never seen him have sex with Claire. No. Not that I can think of. But nope.
1: I, no, I don't think we have. I yeah, think and, absolutely right and the
0: only sex we've seen him have with Zoe is a power move or just... A fun thing this is the first time we've seen him talk or discuss about uh, discuss a relationship that was a lot more than even though it may not you know i'm not saying that frank is gay or bisexual or whatever it's just a person that he had this deeper connection to that i was we've gu- never seen
1: i was gonna say this exact same thing beyond what the sexuality behind it was right. the relationship itself was beyond you know, Claire and Frank's relationship, and Claire outright said this to their former bodyguard on his deathbed. It's like they have similar ambitions and goals, and they both are people who have a similar plan and work together to achieve that plan. Um, Zoe, it's kind of a similar thing where it's like he – I think he kind of gets off on obviously kind of the daddy complex a little bit. With this guy, it was like it – was, it was a deeper level. It was actually genuinely loving somebody it seemed right. like. Right. I agree. Yeah. And
0: – that, that whole thing just really actually, this is a, not the first time, but this is a a, a big part now of why I, I'm starting to understand Frank a little bit and I, I care about him a lot more because <laughs> I see that he has this heart in him, even though he doesn't use it anymore. He thinks with his head, you know, he does have a heart and he did use it at a time and this was a special person to
1: him. It really made me, uh, made him much more endearing. It humanizes him, I think, more. Which there was, you, go. there it totally, you go. Totally humanizes. So, I was going to ask you, so do you think that, um, is Frank and Claire's marriage a marriage of convenience? Is, I mean, I, I think do there's you, a little bit of this, love there, but not deep. I was going to ask if this leaked over to why you think they didn't have children or anything like that. Do you think this is connected at all?
0: Hmm. I could see it it being connected a little bit in the sense that, you know, their relationship is very businessy and arranged in a certain way or a set of uh, an agenda that they probably set out to accomplish as a couple and kids maybe didn't fit into it. Um, But, you know, it might just because, you know, you see powerful political couples these days and having kids is part of the package of selling your image right so
1: mm-hmm. I don't know what do you think I mean you get the impression almost that this is Frank chose in a way power over love kind of thing you know like maybe mm-hmm. his relationship with this guy was more genuine and it was more um it will love but he 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 chose politics and he chose being cutthroat and ambitious and this is what he was made for and he struck a deal with the devil basically and decided that this is what he was going for, and so if I would almost venture to say that if he was in a relationship with the guy with a bearded guy, maybe he would have mm-hmm. considered having kids because it would have been a relationship I, that was built on love. But him and Claire's agree, relationship like doesn't. That. Him and Claire's relationship doesn't have that kind of foundation, you know. Right, I, I do. Yeah, I agree with you actually, and I do want to point out. I I like that they made this character a guy
0: that he had this relationship with, you know. It may be kind of a liberal thing to do, but. It just shows that, you know, Frank has
1: a heart to love people. I It made it deeper. I, I Something I about it, I mean, I, I, I appreciated that too. And I thought it made me, I think that I would not have, if it was a woman, then I would have felt like a little bit of disdain for a Frank thing. or something. Yeah, but there was something, there was something, there's more heart to it this way.
0: Right, I agree, because obviously he's, for the most part, comes across as a very alpha straight male, so, hence with Zoe and, and his other conquests that they've alluded to. Um, but this made it, like you said, a genuine connection uh, with a human being. Exactly. exactly. But also, I, before we move on from this, I do think I, I would really appreciate it if we didn't see this bearded man character again, just because leaving him at, as this keeps that perfect. I agree. And if agree. he comes back and they try to sully it and make it messy and an affair or something, I would be really disappointed because this at its purest level is love. And I want to kind of keep it that way. So Frank stays at least had, having had this uh, experience.
1: I absolutely agree with you. I would, I hope that this interaction is more a window into Frank's past, into Frank's heart than it is a plot. device. As a plot device later on, exactly. I ab- I a thousand percent agree with you, and my fingers are crossed that it's the same thing. Um, so yeah, that was really eye opening to kind of see that side of Frank. But on the other hand, let's go. Were and talk you about... shocked? I was. I was. I was. Me too. <laughs> like when when he when like I I thought that when that guy took Frank's hand and put it on his heart that like he was going to make a confession to Frank and Frank was going to recoil or something because uh... we haven't seen it. So like that really surprised me when we found out like. Frank was probably actually the instigator of that relationship,
0: right? I, I mean, and my thought was, oh snap, he's Frank is going to hook up with this guy, and someone's going to catch him, and then his political career is going to be in trouble. But it had nothing to do
1: with that, and I really appreciated you know, that it, it wasn't. It was
0: a better storyline than we both could have dreamed of. <laughs>
1: I, I know it was. We were I maybe mean, we were being cynical about it, but I appreciated that. Well, um, so it was a nice misdirection by the uh, writers. It was. It was a good misdirection. I agree. But let's talk about Rochelle for a minute. So, um, Christina surprises him pretty much on the doorstep of his childhood home. I like her, Um, man. She's really, she's great. She's sweet. And she uh, clearly cares for him and is going to, you know, stick it out whether he likes it or not and do what's right. Um, so he shows her his mother, I'm assuming it was his mother's house and now she's in the care ward, you know, in the, right. Um, so he shows her the house and. Shows her like, the bed he grew up on and everything, and she says that she wants to meet his mom, and she's going to stay for the town hall. And he's kind of like, I, I really I think it's better mm-hmm. off if you weren't here, because it's just going to be messy. And she says, no, I want to be here for you. This is what our relationship is going to be, pretty much. And I think he's happy about that. I think that he thought he was yeah. protecting her for something, but he he's he's happy that she's willing to stick. Like, I think it's symbolic of like her saying, like, I know that you are going to go through shit, and I'm going to be here by your side no matter what. But then right, we have which this is great woman.
0: because he has just been rejected by his best by Paul, friend yeah. and his mother.
1: Exactly. By two people. Exactly. By the people that represent his roots. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he... I thought this was interesting. So as they're kind of making out and laying down on the bed, he kind of says, like... They talk about this crack on the ceiling. Right. And and he says, like, you know, every night I looked up at that crack on the ceiling. I know every curve of that crack. And it seemed like... A, uh, not awkward but it seemed like it was a speech that was like a dialogue that was put there for a purpose right so i was wondering what you extracted if there yeah. was some symbolism behind this crack
0: I, I of course i think there definitely is some uh, i was trying to figure out what it was i mean it could represent him and the cracks and his faults like looking within himself knowing what was wrong with him but also i think it could represent you know this his you're physically in his home so it could be the crack in uh philadelphia i forget what, if that's his town or, or not but um, yeah, I think in it's the, the up, yeah. crack yeah. of his town. So he knows the ins and outs of everything that his his community has. That that crack as a fault, you know, is it's as a, a broken piece. He knows every inch and curve of the faults and uh, uh, in in the house that is his community. What did you think?
1: I agree. I agree with that. and I think that's a really interesting first imp- interpretation too that I hadn't thought of. As far as the second one, I I was definitely thinking along the same lines, like. He is such a part of like it, I think I thought maybe it was just demonstrating like what a part of this community is and like how he you know like you were saying he he knows every bit of this community this is where he this is his foundation and that's why it hurts him so badly that he's kind of being rejected by it is because these are his roots and well let's dive, dive right into the town hall because I think ultimately what we find out is like returning to his roots a little bit is kind of what draws like what ends up pulling him through this whole situation so he has the town hall meeting and as he predicted he gets absolutely grilled um you know there he this woman is having is basically yelling at him in this town hall saying that you know all you can come up with are solutions that look good on paper but they can't feed my family kind of thing we don't eat paper we can't make a house out of paper we yeah, can't was... eat paper
0: and he, he kind of he was expecting to get to get some heat from his constituents but man they were
1: pissed they were and you know what he's up there on that at that podium alone on the stage, in a suit, looking down at all these people in dirty jeans who were unemployed. And he just, it, there was that the distance. He was being the politician. He was being the, I'm better than you, I live in Washington kind of thing. And that's not what connects with these type of people. These are down-home people. They want, that's why they elected Rousseau in the first place is because he was their guy. And that's mm-hmm. what they say to him is, this is what we elected you for and you fucked it up. Um, and so they walk out on him. And, you know, Russo and Christina are, are sitting in the feeder and he, you know, she's saying, well, what are you going to do next? You need to, you need to show these people that you empathize with them. And he says, you know what? No, that's, they don't want that. that's not this community. They don't, empathy is not what they need. And so he, he leaves her and we see Paul and his family come home from church or, or wherever they're coming home from. And Russo's sitting inside his house. He broke, he breaks into his buddy's house. And Paul is pissed and sends the kids upstairs, and they get into a fist fight, and they break it was the like It was kind of, like,
0: scary, though. Like, he was like, honey, take the kids upstairs. Like, he was kind of, like, scared of what could happen. Like, it wasn't like, oh, you jerk. It
1: was like, oh, shit. Uh-oh. I mean, he was kind of sinister, but it was like... At the same time, it was like not this knocking on the door. I want to be. I want to be fake kind and give you this bullshit about me being governor stuff. It's like I'm going to get real with you. This is what our people do. Is I'm going to be in your house waiting for you when you get home, and we're going to have a for real talk here. So they throw You know, they get in a fight. They break the coffee table, and of course, that's like that's what connects them again. And Paul's like, "All right, well, what do you need?" <laughs> like, yeah, that was
0: like it really brought them back to the roots. You know, their roots of just it, being, you know boys on the street that they settle by fighting and then but they're but they're mature enough now they're like listen i think i i wanted to ask you about this so it it ends pretty quickly what is it what is it it the fighting that makes them makes paul back off and be like
1: i don't want to do this but like what what changes in his mind during this fight oh it makes him realize i totally thought it was the fighting i thought it was the minute that russo punches him you know that he's like because I this think that guy I Paul for. Paul has this vision that like Rousseau went to D.C. and now he's a snot. He's this prissy politician that wears suits all the time, and he does he forgot his roots. He doesn't know where he's at. And having that fist punch him in the face is like that's the yeah. same fist that I've had him punch in, me fighting. in the face and, and you know a hundred other times in my life. This is the same guy that I've always known. This is how Rousseau was showing him that like I have not changed, you know. Yeah, and says I'm not going to leave cool. until yeah. And so I think that I, liked it, it. I, I think it was the punch, and that's why afterward he was like. Okay, you're still the same guy. What can I do for you, pretty much? Yep. So they instead of meeting in the town hall, they decided to go and meet in, in a bar, in a blue-collar bar. Rousseau's wearing, is real, like, man. I think he's, like, wearing jeans and a shirt, like a button-up shirt with the sleeves rolled up, you know? He's, like, doing the whole man of the people kind of thing. Yep. And he, he, he gives an inspirational speech. I thought it was, a, it was an honest speech. It was not any bullshit about, like, this is, you guys should be so excited about this. It was, like, this is a building block for us. I'm not happy with it either, but we got to start somewhere, and it's either this or it's nothing. So, yeah, I'm pissed about what happened, too, but that base was going to close, and I had to do something.
0: Well, I thought that was kind of misleading, because did we know it was going to close? I don't know if we knew for sure it was going to close. Like He's like, could have been this year, could have been next year. That was kind of a vague you know open ended answer I agree that, with you
1: I, that was misleading because I don't think we did know it was going Unless close. I missed something and it was I don't gonna think, happen eventually, Well cuz remember they were going to close a different base instead they're going to close the blaze, base pace in the um Black uh, Black Caucus guys district right So yeah, I don't think yeah. we did know that it was going to close but it was part I mean But they, they 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 he fed the line and they ate it Exactly and I mean he made it clear that like it wasn't what he he had no control over it, but he's trying to do something.
0: And exactly.
1: Whether, whether they like it or not, he's the only he's the only person fighting for them. So right. that was off. kind of a
0: cool scene when he said like, you know, I'm all you got.
1: Right. And, and everyone mean, else
0: said, they don't give an F about you.
1: Yeah. And so he's he, so Christina says, Well, so if you want to get in on this, sign up sign for our mailing p-. list. Yeah, and and they do. So it's not like he has a rousing applause or anything like that, but it's like it's kind of the, that's just how the community it was, works. It's like, he, right. he's, 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 real. Ex, he's accepted because he's being real again. Mm-hmm. Right. They recognize the guy that they voted for. And so let's go ahead and finish up this Rousseau plotline. I want to take you. We have, um, Russo takes Christina after, so, so this goes pretty well. So Rousseau decides he's going to take Christina to meet his mother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she takes her in and as he predicted, his mom's the same way, kind of neurotic and unresponsive, cold, doesn't really care about Christina. Notices his bloody knuckles. And almost comes alive at that and says, What happened there? And he says, Oh, I got in a fight, mom. And she's like, Did you win? And she says, Yeah, and she says, That's my boy, and then she says (laughs) Then she she it's like she acknowledges Christina and she starts kind of Well, do you remember what she said? She's like, you're the one fucking my son, huh? And she's like <laughs> oh, I, I'm just, I'm just screwing with you. Yeah. But it's like it, it like brings her to life. What do you think it was about seeing it, his, his I mean
0: Peter L- Russo literally had to fight, you know, to get his people back. Like he had to physically fight to get to win back over his people, which just shows, you know, the connection of him and his past. Uh, life before he got voted into office. You know, I'm, I'm also thinking here, though he—I mean, this is his first term, right?
1: I think he—I uh, think he is. Uh,
0: so he only got I'm voted sure. in like two years ago. So they—I mean, this was a quick turnaround for people to hate him all of a sudden. um But uh I, I think, anyway, back to what you were saying. Yes, I it it just showed that they needed to see that the old Peter was still there and his mom being probably a little blue collar uh lady herself you know recognizes that that's something that she's familiar with and that's the peter she knows um and and was happy to see that he's still who who she knows him to be
1: oh absolutely she she felt like maybe she would lost him to what dc or like you know she's still kind of rough around the edges and felt like he didn't have that anymore but by seeing the you know the bloody knuckles she knew those bloody knuckles she's seen them many times in the past and it was able to connect her with them and was made her able to open up and kind of, you know, make things better. Right. And Rousseau. now they know
0: that he will be able to fight for
1: them in, in D.C. Right. And so when they leave the room, you know, Russo kind of uh, does this power play against the, the like, nurse in the hall who he wants to yeah. change. The Always got
0: his confidence back. He, like, it is... took him that fight to get his, you know, his balls back.
1: He feels good about him. I mean, that's what I was going to say. Is it was just a demonstration of him. Like, he's he's got his confidence right now and he knows that he can po- like he believes in himself basically which exactly he exactly and before that it was just Christina and I guess
0: I mean Frank kind of but we don't really truly know <laughs> he, Frank just needed him well, Fra- to think he Fra- believed in him but we
1: know Christina does Frank engineered it but yeah we know Christina really does believe in him and she was able to inspire him to make others believe in him again whether right. Paul and his mother and all these people so he he definitely connects with his roots and I think it was a it was a good episode for Rousseau I enjoyed kind of I liked him it back in his his home his hometown again um so finishing up with Frank you know it's the next day frank his and his buddy have uh slept through the night in the library all all through the night at seven a m um so they all wake up and they go to breakfast and Frank over here is one of these kind of cadets saying they're talking about like so who are they building this? Who is this library getting dedicated to? And like the other kids, like a uh, some guy. I think he's dead. <laughs> and Frank's standing yeah. right there, and it just kind of—I I, mean—it only solidifies Frank's kind of impression that like this guy doesn't matter. It's you know it's fleeting. You know what's a building named after you? Because which is really interesting because before we get into this, so well let's let's kind of segue. So Frank goes to the dedication and they kind of have this discussion about value. The dean gives this speech about values and asks Frank to, Frank to come up. And then Frank comes up and instead of giving his his uh, scripted speech he had, he gives a speech on permanence. And I thought this was interesting because earlier in one of the earlier episodes we hear Frank talking about how it's all about leaving a legacy and how real power is like what you leave behind when you're gone. But this speech seemed ex- like I felt very con- contrary to that. It's like almost like did he learn something here or, or what exactly? But he gives a speech on permanence And he talks about harmony as kind of being the sum up word Um, and about, you know, nothing is is lasting or permanent, but it's individual voices coming together for a singular moment and creating something in that one moment, which is obviously what his barbershop quartet um, symbolizes in a literal way. Uh, But it's a very sincere speech. And, you know, you kind of even see Claire look a little bit uncomfortable because... He's going off script. She knows this that... is the facade is off. This is not. This is real Frank, not politician Frank. Um, what uh, provoked this change? I mean, is this? Yeah. Do you think? Yeah, this is. I mean, this is his. This is,
0: I think, his uh, actualization or his realization, uh, act, uh, <laughs> truly about um, what. His time, I think, specifically that uh, with the the bearded guy, that triggered his uh, uh, final definition of what time is at a place like this. It's it's fleeting. It's one breath. You know, it's, it can be an amazing thing, but you know, it's gone after the breath is over. Um, and I, I think the, the thing that triggered that was the was the bearded guy and the relationship and his not epiphany, but him coming to terms with having had that experience and it being a a, a genuine emotion that he felt for another human being, you know, and it's over and it's gone and it's never going to be the same. Um, He mentioned, you know, the other guy mentioned, listen, I got kids that are older than even we were when we were here. He's the river guide. And, uh, you know, and even that invitation to come white water rafting, I don't think they're ever going to do that.
1: No, Frank was not going to fall. I think that was very clear. Right. it's, It's a
0: past thing. It's over. And Mm -hmm. I think Frank finally realized that when he realized that this guy that he had this relationship with, that is over too, and that's in the past, and you can't go back to it really. I don't know. What did you think it meant?
1: I I absolutely agree with you. Maybe it did. I think I think he acknowledges that maybe it did form him in one way or another, but the moment itself is, I mean, was not. I mean, not lasting. You know. I mean, it was like you said. It was a. It was this brief free time for him but now he's the politician and that's that's how this episode ends And that's what I was going to say it's like he has this awkward goodbye with the buddies and with the bearded friend where they like act as if they're going to see each other in the future but I think we all know they're not going to mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he takes the program that has the photo of the four of them in it and he leaves it, he drops it on the chair sure. and he like he, it's he's letting go of it literally and right. immediately he, you know, Stamper shows up and they are back to work you know, right? It's... That
0: was the he flipped the switch, and like once he dropped that that pamphlet, it was back to business.
1: Mm-hmm. This episode was all about background, all about background on Frank and Russo. I loved it. I really loved this episode. I thought it was I, great. I thought it was great too. And I mean, it, it's not like there was it was real action filled, but it was just very such. It it dug deep And I I thought Since we focused on these two characters so much We were able to dig deeper into them Instead of having And I mean I appreciate the Zoe storyline And everything too But I think it was nice to Take a break from that And just dig deeper Like dig deeper into these two ones And we got a little bit of Claire too Mm -hmm. But And I mean We didn't really go into Stamperin again I mean it was very focused on Frank Russo Which I think Frank and Russo are kind of coming to be Our two main characters Right I'd say we
0: both uh, From the beginning Really enjoyed both of them Uh You know, you and I both have have enjoyed them as our favorite characters.
1: And and, I mean, I think we pointed out before that we kind of see them as foils of each other. I mean. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. And that's, you know, the whole juxtaposition of putting these two storylines together at the same time also could be, you know, a device used to set something up later on down the road when maybe they're going to go head to head. Because we still think that maybe, right, we've talked about this, how Rousseau might be. You know, when, now that he's getting his confidence back, he's gonna probably want to stand up to uh, something that um, that Frank might try to do to him.
1: And just an interesting difference I want to point out too in this episode. You know, we have these parallel stories going back, you know, to roots or whatever. And on the one hand, we see Rousseau reconnecting with his roots and realizing where he does come from. And on the other hand, we see Frank like casting away where he came from and realizing that like this was my past and now it's gone.
0: Right, and just, Rousseau I, is trying to get back to his roots, and
1: Frank is trying to close that door. Exactly, it's just the opposite interaction. Just to kind of illustrate again how they're two different sides of the coin, right. you know? Yeah, definitely. I don't know. That's it was I don't know. I, I enjoyed the episode too. What do you, I mean? What do you give it overall? I give it a four and a half. I only I would get. I just can't give it a
0: five yet because. What if something better happens down the road And you know I don't know A 5 is a perfect score that's too much for me But I would definitely hands down 4.5 I loved it what
1: do you think And you're holding out for your 5 huh I'm holding out for my 5 too I'm going to give it a 4 The reason being I did really enjoy the episode I love the background of it but my favorite episodes So far have had Just like some sort of monologue From Frank or from some not mostly from Frank Just some sort of fantastic speech That has like encapsulated the entire Episode for me Those Um, are great episodes, you're right. And, I mean, there was a a bunch of good interaction. I love the honesty in Frank, and I love seeing Russo's background roots. But we didn't have that one standout moment, I feel like, like we did in some of the other episodes. So I think four is my score, but I did enjoy it very much.
0: I want to add in, though, I am a huge sucker for um, plots or storylines where characters return home. Um, or return to a, a, a specific place. Um, right now, off the off the top of my head, um, in Walking Dead, Clear, the episode where they go run into what's-his-name again, and um, little little uh, Carl's trying to get the photo from the restaurant, and it's just yeah. Rick and uh, Michonne and Carl, and they run into... I forget his name right now. But, I don't know who you're talking about, and, too, but... yeah. Where they return some, you know, to a place, and you really get character-driven uh, um, exposition uh, or narrative-driven exposition. And then also, I, I know you don't watch it, but Girls, uh, there's been two episodes where they've returned to someone's home, and those are just the best. I don't know. I just really enjoy those because it, it forces characters to deal with these issues that may be festering inside of them. But you, they have to face it uh, full on and and deal with it. And the way characters deal with it is
1: so fascinating to me.
0: So that that's why okay. I think I, this one does get a little higher for me, just because. I
1: I, I so. absolutely understand that. And what I also love seeing is in those kind of episodes where you you know you get to know this character, but then you see them go home and you you kind of see what the forces that made them into this person. Right. I think that's always fascinating too. You know, is figuring out. I mean. How they were nurtured into the creature that they are today, kind of thing. You're right; it's fascinating. I, I like that too. I do. Um. Anyway, so I, yeah, definitely a great episode. And now that we've kind of gotten some of this background, I'm assuming we're kind of back to the political chase. I think next episode we kind of dig back into the Rousseau campaign, as uh, Frank kind of hinted at in his conversation with Stamper as they were leaving the um, library. But I'm excited to see what happens next. Any last comments from you? Um No. Let's wrap it up, I guess. Excellent. Yeah, no, it was a good episode. I absolutely agree, and I'm excited to watch the next one and talk about it with you again. So, once again, yeah. we encourage everybody to jump on to iTunes and check us out at This House of Cards podcast. Leave ratings, comments, questions. Same thing. This House of Cards podcast at gmail dot com. You can email us, or like us on Facebook at This House of Cards podcast. We appreciate that as well, and you can uh, get in contact us with us uh, on our wall there. But anyway, so Chris, where can uh, people? I don't know. Hear more from you this week. <laughs> I'm on Twitter uh, at Chris Husted.
0: It's Chris with a K. But I just thought of something that I wanted to bring up. Frank and his group were actually pretty good singers. They were. Yeah, they had good voices. It was. It was good. I, I want to know. If, I want to know if that was really Kevin Spacey or not. I want to know too because I've never heard him sing. But uh, you know, obviously, so many actors can. I, I bet I wouldn't be surprised if it was him. Uh, I would The one song I really liked was the one when they were down in the like the. the Depths of the basement of the of the library. Were they You're looking at like the names? The descent. It was yeah, kept and they saw their names, yeah. and he. It was weird though. Like they see their names, and he just like busts out in, a, in like a, a song.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, it was very, very. Yeah. Anyway,
0: uh, where can
1: people find you, Tyler? You can find me on Twitter as well at TJMoss11. TJ TJ Eleven. Eleven. That's right. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.
0: I don't wanna be your friend. I just wanna be your love.